This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and managing editor of the Business of Government magazine. For the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, each successive chapter in its history has brought its own set of emerging crime and security threats. From gangsters to mobsters, from spies to serial killers, from internet predators to international terrorists, challenging the organization's ability to consistently adapt and respond. Today, the Bureau must adapt and respond in an era of increasing fiscal uncertainty within an ever-evolving complex threat environment. To do this successfully rests on the application and use of sound financial and business management practices that enhance the Bureau's operational effectiveness and in turn ensures it's better able to meet its multi-tiered mission. What are the key priorities for the FBI's Finance, Facilities, and Real Property Division? How has the transition to UFMS changed the way the Bureau does its business? And what is the Bureau doing to leverage mobility solutions to meet its mission? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Rich Haley, Chief Financial Officer and Associate Director of the Finance, Facilities, and Real Property Division within the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Andy Maynor. Well, Rich, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. Thanks, Michael. It's great to be here. Andy, welcome as always. Thank you. Many of our listeners are generally familiar with the FBI, but before we delve into specific initiatives, perhaps you can provide us with a brief overview of the history and continued evolution of the Federal Bureau of Investigation's mission. Yes, uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation. We've been around now almost 110 years. It started in 1908. Interesting 1908. A lot of new companies, General Motors, uh, came about in 1908, Harvard Business School, and among others, uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation started initially by the Department of Justice to look at land crimes and antitrust, some of the early interstate crimes that were occurring. And then uh, since then, we've prided ourselves in the changing missions over the years, going from uh, uh, what was at the time the um, early uh, prohibition uh, type of activities to what during World War One, World War Two, where we were looking at espionage and some of the stuff coming from the, the war that threats from uh, Germany and what have you. And then uh, after uh, that period, Cold War, coming up into the violent crimes uh, and uh, some of the uh, organized crimes of the 80s and 90s. And then obviously a transformational change for us after 9-11, uh, becoming what was a uh, predominantly a law enforcement organization, changing into a national security organization as well in that balance. Uh, and today, as uh, Director Comey describes us, uh, we are a national security law enforcement organization uh, that shares intelligence and in everything we do. Uh, so it's been a quite a ride for a hundred and some years. It's an amazing organization to work for. So with the evolving mission 
could you give us a sense of the operational footprint of the FBI? Can you give us a sense of its size, number of agents, number of FTEs, the size of your budget, geographical footprint? I think that's a, an amazing question to ask in terms of what people perceive the FBI yeah. and where we're at, and, and, and it oftentimes surprises people. Uh, so we're a global organization today. We have uh, what we call field offices. We have 56 of those across the country, pretty much every major city. In addition to that, those offices have satellite offices we call resident agencies, and there's approximately 400 of those. So other than the post office, the FBI is probably uh, one of the uh, most predominant federal organizations across the country. We also have over 60 locations uh, uh, in other countries across the globe, most of the time uh, embedded in our embassies, coordinating and working with the other federal agencies overseas, as well as our foreign partners in the different countries uh, whether it's uh, solving uh, like-minded crimes or, or terrorist incidents around the world. And then we have a, uh, obviously a huge uh, footprint here in Washington, D.C. Uh, with our headquarters building. Uh, but we also have some major operations. We have a fingerprint facility uh, out in West Virginia. We have a large uh, uh, explosives training and uh, analytic facility down in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Big presence out in uh, Idaho where we do... Uh, a lot of our data and IT work. So very much a, a broad global organization, 24 by 7, uh, which a lot of times people are surprised how broadly we are. The, the other dynamic of that is um, 35,000, approximately 35,000 employees, uh, but only about 12,000, 13,000 agents. So if you compare that to a city like New York, which has you know 35,000 police officers, we have maybe a third of that trying to cover not only the United States, but the uh, uh, the globe. So it's not an agent driving in a, um, a bureau vehicle up and down Main Street. It's all the other analytics and information technology and all those other pieces that come together that allow us to do that work. Rich, I'd like to transition to your specific role and, and undertakings. Uh, could you tell us more about your duties and responsibilities as both uh, the Bureau's uh, chief financial officer as well as its assistant director of its finance division, which, of course, includes both facilities and real property and in an organization of your scope? Uh, those are pretty big jobs. Uh, what are the activities that fall under your purview, and, and how does your division support the overall mission that you just talked about? I'm a um, classic chief financial officer of a federal agency. I have those things that you would expect to find, budgetary uh, personnel and, and functions, uh, accounting functions, as well as procurement. Uh, we also have auditing functions on the financial side. But think uh, like you're probably familiar, finance spelled backwards spells everything. And uh, there are a lot of other things that go into that. I think the one area that probably most defines where I see my role is being one of those of, of, of many of our executive leadership that uh, maintains that integrity of the organization. We are the federal organization that is oftentimes investigating uh, financial crimes and at those points where we're arresting people for uh, whether they're on Wall Street or other parts of the, the process where they're doing things that, on the financial side that aren't uh, legal, we need to make sure we're above reproach with respect to our finances and how we perform those functions. So it's, it's creating uh, an environment where we make sure that everything we do maintains that uh, integrity of the organization. On the, uh, the facility side, which I've just recently uh, taken over. It's all of those sites across the country that we have uh, responsibility for, the team, and uh, making sure facilities as well as finance. It's, it's, uh, I often describe it as being um, like the power company or the water company. Um, when people come into a room and hit the light switch or they turn on a faucet, 
They don't just want it to work. They expect it to work. They don't uh, thank the power company for making sure the electric works. They expect it to work. And if you're invisible, oftentimes you're doing your job, and that's the mark of uh, success. So it's providing those financial services, whether they're travel functions or uh, keeping our books balanced or making sure that our contracts and procurements, as well as keeping the uh, the heat on in the building. So uh, um to help our uh, our agents or our uh, operators, professional staff solve uh, very significant, oftentimes uh, very important uh, cases and missions. So, Rich, with, su- with such an expansive portfolio, uh, what are your, say, three top challenges that you face and how have you sought to address them? I think that, uh, you know, what kind of goes in the line with what keeps you up at night. And I think what keeps me up at night is as important as the processes and uh, having sound organizational structure, and even we've been on a journey here for the last four or five years of putting in new information technology, the most important piece in the whole thing are the people. Mm-hmm. And getting the best people, a professor once had up in Boston, told me put good people between you and the problems and you won't have problems. And, and so it's attracting, bringing in those good people and making sure that those people that we have are getting the the relevant training and the experiences that are keeping up uh, with what we're dealing with. Uh, Our deputy director has uh, used the word agile and nimble quite a bit on our operational side. And and I think in order to keep up with the operational missions that are expanding for us most recently, uh, not only in the counterterrorism area, but also in the cyber area, we have to make sure that our what you could call administrative functions, back operations, but they are the infrastructure support to allow those operations to occur. And so how do we get the people to do that? But then also not only the people, it's giving them the systems and those systems being able to provide the data that we can do the analytics on. And we've been behind in that area. We just replaced a number of legacy systems, some of which 20, 30 years old, and we've successfully gone through pretty pretty intense uh, and I'm very proud of both the employees and the vendors that have been part of that that have got us successfully through the effort of upgrading our technology. But now we have all this new technology, which we've got to make sure we're using properly. And you don't want to drive a Ferrari to the grocery store in first gear. You want to kind of lay it out. And so I think we're now in the challenge of how do we take all of this new technology and make sure we're doing the analytics and the forecasting and telling a kind of a forward-looking story versus being historians that are always kind of looking in the rearview mirror. But with those challenges, uh, helping lead an organization of that size, you must also get daily unexpected surprises, the battle of the inbox. How do you balance having long-term goals, as you just laid out, and the sort of daily uh, whatever hits your desk? How do you balance that? Uh, you're looking for indicators every day of have we missed something? And it becomes a risk uh, process. Uh, There's always that question of what do we not know? Uh, And for me, it's, I got rid of my desk a number of years ago, so I don't use a desk. Uh, I have a treadmill that I uh, do my uh, emails and stuff, but it also forces me to make sure that I'm more mobile than stationary uh, and try to get around. That wasn't my idea. That was other smart people that told me that was a good way to do things, and I've I've copied that, and it's worked for me. So those things come up very quickly, and if we're not uh, able to react to that, we're not relevant. Uh, Director Comey talks about, you know, 
we're good and we're great at a lot of things, but we can be better at everything we do. So it's trying to create that mindset. So what uh, what, what can you tell us about your leadership style and what, what are some of the key principles you use in your day-to-day uh, managing and leadership of, uh, of your assets and the folks that you work with? For me, I'm not original. I tend to <laughs> uh, find myself taking um, what other good ideas are out there, what other people have uh, maybe done a better job of being uh, better at being original and then uh, taking a um, collection, uh, which creates a carousel. I think that fundamentally what I try to do, which was uh, given to me, and and I think one of my fortunes has been I've had good mentors. Mm -hmm. And so how do you give back to be a good mentor? So try to think about how you do that. I believe in skip level meetings by the time. And and obviously you get in a role like this, there are a lot of shiny apples that come up your way and you actually will start believing that you're better than you really are. And the only way you kind of break through that is uh, it's usually not the first, second or third question that you ask somebody where you get the the reality. You have to ask that fourth, fifth question where they start to kind of loosen up and, and then they're willing to tell you the truth. And at some point they're willing to really lay it out and tell you how, how, Maybe you're not nearly as good as you even thought you were. We've had crises, and we're going to have more. And if, as a leader, you're you're always in front when those crises or mistakes are occurring and not giving other people the opportunity to be involved or be in that decision-making process, then you're not preparing that next generation. What are the key priorities for the FBI's finance, facilities, and real property division? We will ask its assistant director, Rich Haley, chief financial officer at FBI, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How can DOD improve its acquisition processes? Check out the latest IBM Senate report, Eight Actions to Improve Defense Acquisition. The authors emphasize the urgency of acquisition reform in DOD, given budgetary constraints and security challenges, finding that DOD will need to gain every possible efficiency while resisting the temptation to buy defense on the cheap. This report continues the IBM Center's interest in better understanding and improving the federal government acquisition process. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Rich Haley, Chief Financial Officer at the FBI. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Andy Maynor. So, Rich, could you give us a sense or outline for us your top priorities as the Associate Director of the Finance Division for the FBI? Um, What is your strategic vision? When I got to the FBI 10 years ago, we were trying to get some fundamental processes in place to make sure we were getting our uh, financial statements and our passing our audit and just getting uh, the budget processes, the basic, you know, making sure we were doing the basics. And as we've come out of that and uh, we've been able to maintain our audit opinions and uh, actually this past year uh, get through our uh, financial statements without any material weaknesses or significant deficiencies, I think the next chapter for us is how do we make sure the processes are put in place in a way that they'll t- stand the test of time. We are uh, in the process of rolling out some new reporting tools, analytic tools, uh, to make sure that we're now taking that data uh, and using it in the most appropriate way. So I think for us, it's how do we continue to streamline what uh, financial management means? We also have limited resources. We are coming out of a, a pretty um, traumatic period the last few years with sequestration, hiring freezes for us. Uh, happen to make some really tough decisions on cutting things. So we need to make sure that we are getting the most out of every dollar we're spending. 
but it can't be all about cost because you've got to balance what efficiencies you can get, but you also have to get the mission done. Uh, so I, and it's actually for me a three-legged stool. It's, it's being cognizant of cost, getting the mission done, and we have people working 16, 18-hour days. So you've got to do it in a way that the employees are actually going to be able to um, want to work for the FBI, uh, be able to recruit and bring in new police talent. We have to be able to keep up with the bad guys, so to speak. So we need to have uh, the same talent pool or better um, and that requires that three-legged stool kind of constant to be uh, constantly looking at it. Mm-hmm. So understanding your key priorities and the vision you just laid out for where you want to go, what are some of your key initiatives and strategies you're pursuing to meet this vision and those priorities? So on the human capital side, we're, again, investing in, we're looking at uh, you know, programs and cohorts uh, programs where we can build that leadership. You know, there's a corporate initiative to build leaders. It's, you know, our Director Comey talks about and, and, and really looking at what uh, benchmark from other corporations and where you spend in some situations 30, 40 percent of executive management time focused on, on the employee, on the, the people that are actually doing the business. So from a financial side, it's taking that baton and running with it and making sure we're not only building the technical type of training, but we're building that leadership training, that, that decision-making, and building those communication requirements where people not just talk uh, uh, because we're budget people and we talk or we're accountants and we talk, but how do you get people across different parts of the organizational chart? The organizational chart sometimes becomes the obstacle mm-hmm. because you're in a box you work within your box. And so one of the initiatives we have going on right now is uh, social engineering to get people forced into working outside of their actual area where they're, they're actually uh, uh, linked in. We're, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Marshmallow Challenge, but we're doing the Marshmallow Challenge with uh, all 800 of our employees. Uh, it'll take us a few months, but uh, we think that that'll kind of bring out some of those discussion pieces. I think on the, um, the other side of that is... Um, is looking at at what we provide. Uh, there's a, a one of the manufacturing companies talks about in their development of the of dishwashers that they had engineers design and develop the dishwasher, and then they would hand it off to the marketing teams after they were 80, 90% done. And then the marketing team had to take something that was already pretty much determined and then figure out how they were going to, to sell it. And they were losing market share. And so what they did was they brought the marketing team back into the beginning of that process, uh, embed them with that engineering team. Now, they speak different languages, and that wasn't necessarily all that easy at first. But what it did was it, it made sure as they went on that journey of what they were developing, they were also thinking longer term in terms of how they were going to sell it downstream. And I think for us, it's how do you get the, the resource people into the parts of our operation earlier uh, so they can understand it and react to it more real time than having it uh, downstream be something that we can't do. That navigation is really important. Now, that takes effort, and that takes, again, it brings in different cultures and different oftentimes languages, uh, business languages. But I think those are, those are a few of the big ones that we're trying to put in place. So much of what you've talked about this morning relies on the ability to have accurate and, and timely financial information, often overlooked, but clearly it's a big focus for you. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you transitioned to uh, DOJ's UFMS system and uh, the journey along the way, some maybe key lessons learned because that, that, that's been a big program for you for many years? Yeah, I love talking about this. Uh, and uh, 
for me, the journey started uh, a number of years ago. First thing for me was to realize I'd never done this before. I didn't really know what I was uh, getting into. So in that situation, you call for help. Uh, So I was fortunate to um, link up early on with several uh, former CFOs that had implemented uh, one, two, or or even more than a few uh, financial systems and uh, went around to a number of CFOs and CIOs across different agencies who had successfully, or in some cases not, uh, successfully implemented systems. And, And spent a lot of time understanding from each of them what happened and how they went about implementing it. And so we, we went through that process. And then as we, we went down this, uh, this road, and, and when you think about using green screen technology, a lot of paper-based systems, and then you go into a, a process like this, you really don't know what's coming out the other side. You have, theoretically, you're going to get more efficient processes. You're going to have uh, more readily available data and a number of other attributes and, and benefits. But um, coming out of it now, it's almost like we've had delivered this amazing, uh, used the Ferrari example before, and, um, you know, trying to figure out how to drive it has become, you know, the challenge. Uh, I, I think the things that we're seeing right now is that the, the modern financial systems are designed to do what you want them to do. Make sure that your your resources are being properly run through a uh, an accountable system. What that what that immediately does also is it makes many of your processes obsolete uh, because you had to you, know, you had all these workarounds and, and you can't have workarounds anymore. And so we're going through that. But I think that uh, the system uh, is as uh, good as we allow it to be. What one of the things we noticed when we uh, the latter parts after 25, almost 30 years with our COBOL system is that we didn't turn everything on 30 years ago in that system. Some of them toggles just remained in off positions. And, and so looking at this system now is are we using all the capabilities uh, and, and are we comfortable with the, the way that, that that's going along? So uh, we're, we're there now, and, and it's been a great uh, effort. Do, uh, the Department of Justice has provided uh, – Credible support. We could not have done it, and this is one of those areas where uh, public-private partnership is is key. We brought an amazing uh, group of um, FBI employees, Department of Justice employees, but we couldn't have done it with a lot of outside expertise that we brought in on it. But it was successful, and uh, you know, like I mentioned, the real success was uh, not only going live uh, on our target, but also being able to then pass the audit uh, into the next year. It always seemed uh, you transitioned this during some pretty tough budget years, meaning if you were drawing it up on paper, you might not have done that. But it always seemed that FBI and DOJ felt like this was part of the mission, so no slowing down. And I think oftentimes federal managers, they think, oh, I better wait. But it always seemed that you were you, you linked it right to your mission and, and wondered if that was something you thought about. Making sure that we weren't developing or building a financial system for the financial uh, side of the house was key. Uh, we were we were investing resources. We were investing a tremendous amount of corporate effort, but it wasn't for, for us. It was to make sure we had a system that could be used. The other things that went into that, and it ties back to your earlier question, we looked at, at the way other components had implemented financial systems. We had gone out, looked at a number of uh, corporations that had done this, and 
we realized we weren't going to be able to do what some refer to as a big bang, just go live in one uh, in one date. Uh, so we we did a pilot the year before, and that was a handful of offices. We kind of social engineered that to make sure we got some really good uh, offices that we we thought would be successful. There were expected risks, but we had unexpected uh, things happen that we were able to work out. And so when we went live the second year with the full-blown FBI corporate go live, it helped out a lot. What we didn't anticipate was that we were going to go live during sequestration, during a government shutdown, uh, with a uh, continuing resolution, and at the point, you know, we didn't. We went live with the system. We didn't have even have money to put in the system. Uh, and then, I guess the last piece I would say on that is that there were other major uh, things that we did leading up to that. We implemented our property system, uh, which was also one of these twenty-five year old legacy systems. So going through that was kind of like uh, a very uh, substantial spring training that we were then moving into something. So we kind of build the team process and a battle rhythm going through some of these earlier implementations, which got us ready for this uh, kind of Super Bowl event that we went through with the UFMS going live. But you talked about about people, and my question is, when you were getting to that final mile, that final inch, there's still the individual agent user of the system out in the field who says, I've always bought my ammunition this way, I've always done my cars this way. How do you get that final inch? Because we watch people struggle with that final inch. Yeah, it, it changes changes the hardest part of it. There were a number of, I think, lessons learned that we were able to benefit from, from looking at other system implementations across the FBI, not just in the finance area, and then also looking at some uh, other examples. There was, there was at one point our program manager who by memory had a um, phone number that he dials on the conference center phone uh, that calls up one of the large retailers, and you get this uh, very pleasant voice on the other end. And, and he basically tells her as, he, as she answers, he goes, oh, I got the wrong number. Let me call the different place. And she stops him and says, no, 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 tell me where you're trying to call, and I will connect you. And it was a uh, example that he was throwing out to how – if we are going to make this successful, we've got to not bring people to the water. We've got to help them drink it. And so one of the things we did as we went live uh, and stood up the, the financial system, we also stood up a, a call center. Uh, and it was a financial call center with the intent that they would be able to uh, share screens, uh, provide you real-time data. Uh, you wouldn't have to you know, have a ticket opened uh uh, and so that really helped in terms of, uh, I think, uh, socializing it and getting through that change. We had uh, also, you know, what op- oftentimes happens in these type of projects is that schedule slips, and so you cut your training. Uh, and we were really religious on maintaining a training window. Well, with that as the backdrop, the implementation of UFMS, I'd like to understand a little bit more about how you're enhancing your financial operations as opposed to your systems. So what are you doing to do that, Rich? And where I'm going is uh, what steps have you taken to track and manage costs, say the cost of investigations? And then more importantly, you know, how are you using financial data to better inform decision-making from a mission support standpoint? At this point, we've done probably about 20, 25 different companies that we've traveled around and we've met with, uh, as well as other government agencies uh, that uh, we, we believe are doing it uh, very well, and and tried to figure out in our own way, how can we build that capability? Uh, 
and this came out of sequestration. So you look at a, a, a really negative period, but where do you find kind of positive things that came out of that? And one of the one of the things that came out of that uh, for us was going back and we kind of a spinoff of a zero-based budgeting. We call it Zebra. It involves our top executives who spend now hours identifying and looking at their base requirements, their budget requirements. We've maintained this Zebra process to make sure that we're putting the highest requirements uh, first and that our executives are making those decisions and not the bean counters in the back room like me. And I think then as we identify those, we're using this new found data that's much more, um, not necessarily easier, but it's more available to harvest where we can kind of connect the dots. The other, the other thing then is how do you do it smarter? Because the finance division, our budget in 2001 uh, was about uh, $3 billion. Today it's over $8 billion. And as it's grown, as the organization has grown, as the missions have grown, become more complex – the finance division hasn't grown. It's yeah. basically the same size finance division today that it was a decade ago. So we have to take these new systems and these implementations and those analytical tools and get basically a, a better customer service, better analytic uh, process out of that uh, with the same size workforce. You mentioned Zebra, but I, I was wondering before we close this segment, is the current budget planning process that you use responsive to the needs of today's FBI? I think the the goal going forward for us is to be able to repeat a process each year that allows us to put the right resources today, but also forecast where we need to be able to put those resources three, four years down the path, and and what are those additional resources that we may not be able to uh, to deal with, and and. Uh, the other side of that is uh, we're doing a lot on the strategic side with risk and making sure that we're we're uh, addressing threats, and that's the business uh, that the FBI is in: is are we addressing threats, and and what level of risk are we accepting in each one of those? And and several of my brethren that uh, that work in that area each day, how do we get closer in terms of financial decisions and our financial processes? Uh, the one reality about the finance process is that. Uh, the budget's going to be delivered at a certain point. It doesn't necessarily get delayed significantly. We're going to uh, have to meet certain deadlines. So the fiscal year is the fiscal year. And so how do we make sure that those risk analyses and those threat requirements are being integrated in those financial timelines or that financial schedule that we have to do so we're not buying things or we're not investing in things that aren't going to be relevant in two or three years. And, and that we can get better at. And I think now we have the systems and the capabilities, and we're asking that question pretty much every day. Have you instituted a new sort of uh, more enhanced risk management approach because of all the changes that you're... So so answer that in two ways. The organization has a, a kind of a robust, uh, continues to evolve risk management of, of those operational threats. I think on the finance side, uh, we've spent a lot of time. Uh, I have an audit unit that works uh, uh, within the finance division. We work closely with our inspection division that looks at a lot of those type of things. And we're now trying to be more attuned to risk. The, the way we're testing that is to say, you know, as an auditor or as a risk manager, are you being invited into executive management's table discussion? My own auditors, you know, oftentimes they have a job to do, but are we bringing them to the table to help us figure out what risks that we're trying to 
avoid downstream versus us having a, a kind of a continual set of discussions on what we've messed up. And I think that's where we're really on the financial side trying to pivot. What is the Bureau doing to leverage mobility solutions to meet its mission? We will ask Rich Haley, Assistant Director of the Finance, Facilities, and Real Property Division and Chief Financial Officer at the FBI, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Government leaders and managers face major challenges today, including fiscal austerity, citizen expectation, the pace of technology and innovation, and a new role for governance. These challenges influence how government executives lead today, but more importantly, how they can be prepared for tomorrow. The IBM Center report, Six Trends Driving Change in Government, offers a path forward for government executives responding to the ever-increasing complexity and challenges they face today. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. In a world inundated with all kinds of information, timely, relevant, and more predictive data can drive better decision-making. Law enforcement agencies are at the forefront in leveraging data and using innovative software to generate predictions that help police prevent crime. What is predictive policing? How can using analytics make us safer? Check out the IBM Center report, Predictive Policing, Preventing Crime with Data and Analytics by Jen Bachner, and find out. Download your free copy at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Rich Haley, Chief Financial Officer at the FBI. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Andy Maynard. Rich, in the last segment, we discussed your finance portfolio. In this segment, I'd like to talk about your facilities and real property portfolio. What are your top priorities in this area? And could you tell us about your strategic vision for this area? Facilities and infrastructure, whether it's the logistics uh, chain, uh, delivering the mail, moving supplies from point A to point B, maintaining uh, facilities that we own or that we are responsible for, and then building new facilities. All of that at some point is either making us more effective uh, at what we do uh, in our jobs or it's making us less effective. And I think uh, there's been a lot of... um, external injects to to cut costs and to save money and reduce space and, and, and all that I think is important. Um, it's where that pendulum ends up. And, and so you can have that pendulum on one side where you're wasting resources, you're inefficient in terms of the amount of money you're spending on rents and, and space and what have you. But if that pendulum goes too far to the other side, you're also not performing those functions and you're going to see that on your operational side. I think for me, it's going back to that three-legged stool, especially on that. Are we doing things not just for costs, but are we doing them for mission and for employees? The other piece of that that I think is really important is that the nature of how, not just on the facility side, but on the information technology side, communication side, we can go into a showroom and look at a, a furniture uh, design that looks great with the, the lights and the way it sets up uh, where there's nothing on it. But at some point for us, we're going to put two or three computers on that. If we have financial analysts or um, uh, white-collar uh, uh, crime agents, they're going to put a lot of paper on that from all their, uh, their casework. And before you know it, we have what looked like in the showroom a nice uh, furniture setup that you can't operate in because it's too small or it doesn't meet the mission requirement. And so how do we blend all of those things together uh, in terms of looking at it as a turnkey 
solution, an efficient, uh, cost-effective turnkey solution, but that it's uh, it's being done in a way that the mission's going to get done. Well, I'd be remiss in not bringing this uh, project up. Could you tell us a little bit about the consolidated FBI HQ project? What's the status? What's going on? Where are we at now? So uh, our uh, building downtown uh, on uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, we've uh, outgrown it 10, 12 times over. And so we, we started this uh, partnership with GSA, and they've at this point identified uh, potential three locations. That's uh, been publicly uh, announced uh, a number of months ago, site in Virginia and two in Maryland, going through a process now where, again, publicly uh, you know, kind of known uh, a number of companies will bid and uh, be determined whether and who will be the um, construction companies or the bidders that will be able to uh, potentially uh, play in that to, to see who gets to, to eventually build it. Well, we're talking a lot about offices and hard assets like that, but but let, what about the workforce of the future, younger folks coming in as new agents, new professional staff? Um, are you able to leverage new technology mobility solutions so that your workforce is effective really wherever they are? Yeah, we're going through that. You know, the, um, in order to attract, you know, the most talented and uh, able individuals, uh, which is what our goal is, you've got to give them the tools and, and those type of uh, capabilities that they're being offered by the, whether it's the top commercial companies or what they're used to working at at school or what they grow, have grown up with, and that's cell phones and computers and laptops and, and what have you. The challenge there is that we do work in a kind of a national security area as well. We have secret, top secret systems. Uh, so that, that always brings in a challenge of how do you introduce uh, the latest and, and most uh, forward-leaning technologies at the same time uh, you want to do it in a way that is going to meet the um, security and threat requirements that we have. And so it's a balance. We're, we're trying to get better in that area. Uh, we work, fortunately, within uh, the Bureau, we have a, not just our um, CIO's functional areas, but we have several other technology divisions, including our um, CGIS division out in West Virginia, uh, which does our fingerprint uh, work as well as our gun checks and, and a lot of our IT. So we have a wealth of knowledge from the different areas, including our security division and other parts that we're bringing together to try to make sure that we are introducing the latest technology possible and still kind of balance it with those threat considerations. To that end, the FBI buys billions of dollars of goods and services throughout the community, both high-end IT to more logistical items, as you said. This all falls under your purview also. And what do you think the procurement challenges of this era are right now? I like the uh, story that came out. It's been a while. I've used it several times on the... Um, the lobster traps that, that get put down. Lobster traps have been down, around for several hundred years, used up in New England. And the, the theory is the lobster goes in, takes the bait, and then they pull the lobster trap up and you get the lobster. Uh, and I, I guess with the technology on cameras, uh, some fishermen uh, had the wherewithal to put a, a GoPro or something on it. And, and it happens that uh, most of the lobsters actually come into the trap and go out of the trap. And so this idea that the trap was, uh, you know, capturing all the lobsters, and, and some would argue it's only getting the dumb lobsters or the ones that can't get out, <laughs> I think 
there, there's a lot of um, similarities in terms of what we need to kind of objectively look at our supply chain and the way in which we do procurement. Um, our procurement processes have not necessarily changed all that much since, you know, we were a $2 billion organization or $3 billion, and now we're doing $3, 4000000000 billion in uh, non-personnel purchases uh, and the supply chain on that, uh, not just here in Washington, but how we move things uh, across the country, uh, across the globe. We really are kind of going through a, a process right now to look at how can we refine that process, make it more efficient, more cost effective. And if others are doing it well or better, uh, are there ways that we can align with that versus trying to recreate a, a wheel that's already been uh, designed and developed. Well, you mentioned it, and so let's maybe unpack it a bit more. On the analytics side, government uh, departments, private sector companies using data uh, a lot more to make those decisions as a part, as opposed to a hunch or a gut feel. You mentioned the example earlier in the show about a best practice as a, at an office or a certain field office. Where Where's the FBI in that journey of using information in that aggressive Way, I think we're um, we're kind of just dipping our toe into the water. Uh, what's uh, what we see as the opportunity? A lot of it right now is anecdotal. We've created um, a team over the last couple of years. We call it our Delphi team, where we're sending their 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 former IT uh, commercial IT executives as well as mathematicians that are going out looking at how do we get how do we take the analytics and make them real in terms of the practical environment. I think I think one of the areas is that with our new property system, and then we also have space management uh, systems, and if we even kind of go further and bring our HR buddies in and say, okay, you have HR systems, and what ties our assets, the location those assets are in, as well as where those people that are in those locations, and if we can get all that information and we can get it in a way that those systems, which you know, right now they're each separate, but if they, we can interface them and use something like location, does location become the key to figuring out where all the people, places, things are? Can we then be more proficient with whether it's the next buy we do or how we transfer people around? Uh, I think there's all kinds of opportunity there. Anecdotally, story, uh, the sensors in each of our building. Uh, I was list talking to... Um, uh, one of your colleagues about uh, how by taking the uh, temperature sensors from uh, from a building and integrating them into uh, uh, some of these uh, tools, you can get more than just kind of a Kentucky windage type of uh, analytics in terms of are we running these facilities at the uh, optimum level or even when maybe a HVAC system or something is on the getting ready to fail but it hasn't failed yet, uh, you can start sensing that things like that are uh, are occurring. So I think there's also uh, RFID. Uh, we're not, we are using um, some RFID. We're not quite at the point where we're, we're corporately launching that, but uh, uh, you figure for inventory, inventory is important for us. So it's it, what it basically means for us to, um, right now we have a 99.8% inventory uh, success factor, and that means that Congress has, taxpayers have given us resources. We've used those resources and bought stuff, and we're good stewards of those those items that we're buying. Uh, so that inventory is an important part of us showing that we're being successful at what we do. But we spend an enormous amount of time having to inventory, just like in a, in a, uh, a retail setting. 
if we could integrate more RFID or IT solutions to, hey, the computer's there, it was there yesterday, it's there tomorrow, and we know that because the network is pinging it, or we can use RFID and it keeps track of what's in that room and it tells us if something goes in and out of that room, the savings and the efficiency that creates on the uh, workforce could be tremendous. So it's now taking those IT systems and going into that next uh, next journey to build some of those capabilities. And I think that we're seeing that on the horizon as an area where there's a lot of opportunity. Oh, Rich, I, I have the opportunity to discuss with many of my guests the use of collaboration and partnerships uh, with uh, agencies, among agencies, and with the private sector to achieve mission results. How are you uh, leveraging partnerships and uh, collaboration to meet your mission? Yeah, and I see that probably for me and my role, and we have a number of, of um, um, individuals on both our finance and facility side, likewise, that that is that is what we need to do uh, every day. Some would say that it's not necessarily in the job description, and you, I'm taking up a lot of time with that, but anybody that I can talk to or – and we have our, our usual suspects being connected, having great relationships with the Department of Justice, having the interactions that we need to have with uh, OMB and with the Hill, with our Intel community partners – uh, but then beyond that, how do we interact with uh, some of our brethren agencies? What are they doing well? What what are they seeing? Having those connections. And then, like I mentioned, uh, well, we have our foreign partners as well. And uh, spend time. Oftentimes I find that uh, talking to the CFO of some of our um, foreign brethren who have the same mission set in their countries that we have, there's more uh, opportunity for collaboration and sharing with them than even some of our own uh, domestic partners uh, that may have a different mission set. And then the commercial side. Um, I think that um, being able to continue that and make it part of the culture, uh, the more we make that part of the culture, it's an inquisitive, let's ask a question. Let's go find somebody that we haven't talked to before and see what they're doing. And and, uh, it takes a lot of time, but I think coming out of that, we've come up with a lot of good ideas that I always always tell people any time they come over to, to see what we're doing. You know, I don't take any ownership of any of these because at some point they weren't original ideas. We, we've copied them off of somebody else. I know that Director Comey has made sure that you're at the table and your function is represented at the mission table. It makes any of us in the CFO community realize how much this position's evolved over decades. How do you see that position of CFO, even in your own career, uh, uh, having evolved I am uh, very fortunate to have a leadership team, the director, the deputy, our associate, and, and out across the, the other executives that uh, have, I think, all, almost to a one, uh, a good, whether it be a peer relationship or, or um, you know, my, my bosses up through the director, where they do bring us to the table and have us there. It's not always in terms of what we're providing, but it's, it's also understanding what they're going through. Uh, so we're better able to anticipate what we need to do in our lane to assist and, and help them with the with the operations. Uh, and that that you know over almost uh, 20 years now, that that's come a long way. Uh, sometimes the the CFO or the, the the finance person is just seen as the person that keeps the books balanced and um, you know pays the bills. And I think if you're going to First of all, it's getting to the table. But then if you're going to stay at the table, it's being being relevant to that. And, and like I mentioned earlier, it's how can you make it uh, seamless. And so I think the 
I agree with you. It's evolved quite a bit. I think the responsibility, and, and it's a burden that I, I try to think about every day, is am I being relevant? Am I giving them a valuable product? And the ultimate way to test that is if they invite me back to the table, but making sure that, that the team and all those processes that fall under that CFO responsibility or even the facilities responsibility that we are we're all very much uh, cognizant that, that the, the roles that we're in, and many of these are, no matter how long we stay in them, they're temporary roles, but we're caretakers of something that's bigger than us. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for the organizations and the missions that we're, uh, we're serving. And, and are, we, uh, are we doing that in an effective way? And effective usually means that, uh, like I said, oftentimes it means that it's invisible. It's working. Um, and if it's working, people really uh, maybe aren't noticing uh, uh, that it, uh, it's there because they're noticing it more when it's not working because then it becomes frustrating. As you know, many of the listeners of this program are in the private sector and are also very accountable uh, at levels for the, the goals of, of, the, of the customer of the end agency. What can the private sector be doing better to help push this efficiency, effectiveness agenda that you've you very clearly laid out today? Yeah, I guess I'd answer that twofold. One is um, I think we've tried to break through when I got when I got to the FBI, and I think it was probably and maybe in some areas continues to be there's this us them relationship oftentimes, and you know I, I can just tell you in terms of the IT uh, implementation journey we've gone through, uh, us being able to do our job um, without the private sector entities that work with us, um, we wouldn't be able to get the the mission done. Um, I think sometimes what happens is that uh, we have language differences or there's there's oftentimes how do you get that, that real communication going on. And I think that's something we just continue to work on. And in my, in my role, I try to make sure that um, whether they're working well or not working well, trying to have that interaction with uh, peers that I have on the private sector side. I think one of the things that kind of going along with that question that and we're seeing this coming out of the IT implementation, the way we pay bills, the way we uh, you know, run resources through Treasury. Um, it requires uh, more accuracy oftentimes. So bills may not get paid because an address might be wrong or a name might be wrong on a system. It didn't matter as much when it was in paper. IBM could have uh, three different names uh, and you would get paid. Now, if it's not in some of these systems correctly, which means then you have delinquencies and, and prompt payment issues. And so how do we kind of continue to work together to dialogue that? One of the things that we've done with the, the help desk that I mentioned uh, earlier is we've, which is was originally the concept was focus inward. It was how do we address questions and um, issues with our internal customer, we've just pivoted that call center to also provide a vendor management uh, arm as well. So our vendors now have the ability to call into that same call center, have tickets logged for us to follow up on so we can be more uh, responsive. Uh, and sometimes those things fall through the cracks. And, and for me, I want to make sure we are being responsive and that uh, we're being uh, uh, looked at as good partners uh, in that in that process. So, Rich, I'd like to end our conversation today focusing on the future. Are there any other key opportunities that you hope to seize in the near future that you'd like to maybe emphasize for us? So you, so you asked about the new headquarters, and I, and I think um, 
what got us into or what got us successfully through the financial system implementation is it provided us a burning platform. And we used that burning platform to mobilize an amazing human capital effort among everything else to to go towards one point, to vector in on one point, which we could define as what you know success would be implementation, successful implementation, being able to continue to do all the financial requirements that were needed to uh, to get the mission done. I think the new headquarters, even though it's a number of years off, provides that burning platform opportunity for us to look at not just the financial areas, but our how do we provide information technology? How do we provide facility services? How do we do our operational missions, uh, all of the things that a complex organization has to perform, can we use that effort to move towards new headquarters to look at each of those capabilities and say, okay, we have maybe uh, five, six, seven, eight years to change, entirely change, uh, become more efficient, more effective in the way we're doing those functions. And the place where we need to make sure we have all that come together is when we move into that new building. We don't want to move into a building over the next 10 years and just take all the old stuff we have and move it in there. How do we become and maintain a relevancy and build to maybe even a more appropriate uh, relevancy? So I think we're using that. Mm -hmm. Um, On the human capital side, the other thing is kind of scratching our heads, looking at the org chart every day and saying, do we, by compartmentalizing all these functions into these nice little boxes, is it stifling our ability to be nimble and agile? And do we need to kind of maybe break down kind of in an Apple-esque type way? Do we break down some of these kind of preconceived titles and boxes and make uh, – um, director talks about uh, what it means working in the FBI and it's about being – owning the FBI and, and, and ownership oftentimes is – as he describes it, you know, I think amazing. Uh, uh, it's walking down the hall and picking up the piece of trash or the paper clip you see on the floor. It's not just that there's somebody's role to pick up the piece of paper on the floor. It's everybody's role. And so, you know, if we compartmentalize us uh, or if we compartmentalize ourselves in these boxes and say oh, that's somebody else's role to do that, how does that balance with that ability to be nimble and agile? And I think that that may mean that we have to kind of bring those two together, still have internal controls, still have processes. People are going to – we're going to still hire accountants and contract officers and budgeteers and facilities people. But do we broaden those roles to make sure that uh, we're able to kind of stay relevant in that mission set? So I think we're looking at that and that uh, uh, that's an area where I think uh, we can improve a lot, at least in my lane. So Rich, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? My son was asking me this the other day. Uh, you know, I think that for me, well, one of our former uh, CFOs, who a uh, number of FBI uh, agents obviously retire, go into the private sector. Um, and so I have uh, quite a few friends that have done that. And they remind me that, you know, when that day comes that uh, you think about leaving, just remember you've got the best job you're ever going to have. And, and they, they say that bluntly. And, and, uh, and, and I take that because I, I understand it, that this isn't my permanent position. I'm just filling this slot for some number of years. But it's, it's an amazingly rewarding opportunity in terms of the people you work with, the good you can do, uh, the challenges are there. Sometimes the external environment uh, you know, has a negative connotation to it. But I think uh, in the end, uh, 
I would tell people that it's been for me, it's been a blast, including the, not only the time at the FBI, but that journey previous getting to this position. It requires a, um, a different set of, of, of quality factors uh, in terms of how you evaluate what you're doing. You know, it's obviously not the what's going into your checking account necessarily every month. Uh, you have to uh, have a broader sense of what you you want to uh, uh, you want to kind of hang your hat on when it comes to uh, to success. Uh, but I but I would I would say it's a it's a great opportunity. We have a um, a program where we bring in uh, MBAs. We've been doing this for for a number of years over the last decade, um, and it's amazing to me the. The number of MBA graduates that are coming out of top uh, business schools that have opportunities to go work for some of the best companies, top companies uh, in the country or around the globe who are willing to take not only that salary cut, but that kind of lifestyle change to come work for the Federal Bureau of Investigation and then not only to come do that for several years, but to stay. Uh, uh, we have a number of them that have that have been with us for uh, for over a decade, and and all kinds of talented people. Just that's just one s- subset, but it's you know, um, uh, and you get you get uh, mesmerized by the mission. Whether you're an agent or an intel analyst or you're a professional uh, staff like me, the mission is amazing. The leadership is is phenomenal, and so I think that's what you you gain. And, and if you have the opportunity, not just at the FBI, but in public service to be able to attach to something like that, um, I think that goes back to what the, my former colleague was meaning when he said, you know, you're not going to ever have a, a job this good again. So it's uh, it's great. It's been a great, great ride for me. Rich, I want to thank you for your time today. It was great to have you back. But more importantly, Andy and I would like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you. This has been the Business of Government Hour, featuring a conversation with Rich Haley, Assistant Director of the Finance, Facilities, and Real Property Division, and Chief Financial Officer at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. My co-host from IBM has been Andy Maynard. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. What do agency leaders need to know about the federal acquisition process? What are some of the key federal procurement trends? And how can agency leaders overcome today's acquisition challenges? Check out the new Center Report, A Guide for Agency Leaders on Federal Acquisition by Trevor Brown and find out. The report offers practical recommendations for improving federal acquisition. Download your free copy of A Guide for Agency Leaders on Federal Acquisition at businessofgovernment.org and find out how the business of government is not business as usual. What is federal acquisition? How are agencies enhancing their acquisition capabilities? Are there new ways to procure goods and services for federal agencies? What does the future hold for federal acquisition? Join host Michael Keegan as he explores these questions and more with key senior government executives and thought leaders. Tune in on Mondays at 11 a.m. for the Business of Government Hour on Federal News Radio 1500 a.m.